For today in the city of David there has been born for you a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And when Jesus came preaching the gospel of God, he said, The time is fulfilled. The kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe the gospel. Without a doubt, the Christmas message is good news. It's the gospel. But like a Christmas card that doesn't make sense to someone who has no understanding of Christianity, the message of Christmas really didn't make a lot of sense to us until the Apostle Paul explained it. You know, Jesus spoke to a Jewish audience, and he talked about the kingdom He tried to get them to understand how the kingdom of God was broader in nature than the limited political kingdom they had experienced under Jewish kings and how all could be made part of it through him. Some got it. And the church was born on Pentecost when 3,000 Jews accepted Jesus as the Christ. But it wasn't until the Apostle Paul explained how the death burial, and resurrection of Jesus could justify a man before God, that the gospel message became the good news of great joy for all the people that it is today. Indeed, Paul's message of justification is his Christmas gift to us. And it's that gift that we begin to unwrap today. But before we do so, let's make sure we understand just what it means to be justified. The concept of being justified before God was borrowed from the courtroom. When someone's actions are found to be justified in a court of law, he is declared to be innocent of the charges brought against him. It's the opposite of being found guilty. Now, we all know someone can actually be guilty, even though declared not guilty by the court. So being declared innocent, justified, doesn't necessarily mean someone is innocent. It only means that he is considered to be innocent in the eyes of the court. And that is key to our understanding of being justified in the eyes of God. Because no one is truly innocent before God. For as Paul will clearly state in Romans 3:23, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. That means that no one can stand before a holy God and be found acceptable on the basis of their own righteousness. For as Isaiah declared long ago, all our righteous deeds are like a filthy garment. You know, we like to think that we can cover our sin with our good works. That we can balance out the scale of justice by doing more good than bad. But we can't. Any sin, any sin at all, makes us a sinner. And there's nothing we can do to make ourselves acceptable to a holy God. It is therefore impossible for us to save ourselves from being found guilty of sin and thus condemned 
cut off eternally from our Creator. That is why we need a Savior. Someone to save us. The good news is that Jesus came to earth to become our Savior and to make it possible for us to be considered acceptable by God, to be justified in His sight. Jesus came so I could be seen by God just as if I'd never sinned. And it's Paul who taught us what it means to be justified. Romans contains his most complete teaching on justification, but he first wrote about it in his letter to the Galatians. And he did so while reporting about his confrontation with Peter. Now, when we last studied together, we looked at that confrontation. We saw how Paul opposed Peter to his face for cutting off fellowship with Gentile Christians in Antioch when the legalistic Jewish Christians came from Jerusalem. And as we drew our study to close, Paul had just said to Peter, if you, being a Jew, live like the Gentiles and not like the Jews, how is it that you compel the Gentiles to live like Jews? Well, that question will lead into Paul's first teaching on justification. A teaching that was apparently first given to Peter himself. A teaching that we'll briefly examine this morning by looking at justified Jews, justified sinners, and justified grace. We're in the second chapter of Galatians 15 and 16. We are Jews by nature and not sinners from among the Gentiles. Nevertheless, knowing that a man is not justified by the works of the law, but through faith in Christ Jesus, even we have believed in Christ Jesus, that we may be justified by faith in Christ and not by the works of the law, since by the works of the law shall no flesh be justified. Now, not everyone agrees that Paul is continuing to relate his words to Peter here. But the translators of both the New American Standard Bible and the New International keep everything from the middle of verse 14 through verse 21 in quotes. So I think we're in good company to assume that Paul is here sharing with the Galatians what he told to Peter. And I do find it amusing to think that Paul had the audacity to lecture Peter on justification. And that's not to suggest that what he had to say was directed solely to Peter. The we he begins with surely included Peter, but it also included all Jews who had come to faith in Christ. And he begins by noting that those who were born Jews had a distinct advantage over the Gentiles who had very little, if any, knowledge of God and were therefore by default sinners cut off from him. Jews, on the other hand, knew God because he had revealed himself to them. He did so first by revealing himself to selected individuals, and then he started working through the nation as a whole. And to the nation he gave ceremonial and moral laws, promising to dwell in their midst and give them access to himself 
through the priesthood and the sacrificial system. 1,500 years of failure to obey the law had demonstrated, however, that no one can make himself acceptable to God through obedience. No one could obey all the laws all the time. And as James noted, to break just one point of the law is to become a lawbreaker and makes one as guilty before God as if all the laws had been broken. But as Paul will explain in Romans, the real purpose of the law wasn't to make us good anyway. It was to reveal how sinful We really are. And to make us realize our need for grace. Peter and all the Jews who had become Christians did understand this. That's why they'd become Christians. Why they had expressed faith in Jesus as their Savior in the first place. Faith that he could do for them what the law had been unable to do. That he could justify them before God. That by paying the penalty for their sins on the cross, he could make them acceptable to a holy God. They understood that was why Jesus had come to earth. That he had come to justify sinners before God. What they had apparently forgotten was that he had come to justify Jewish and Gentile sinners alike. Verse 17. But if, while seeking to be justified in Christ, we ourselves have also been found sinners, is Christ then a minister of sin? May it never be. Now, there's a real temptation to lift this verse out of its historical context. And to overlook its application to the situation Paul is addressing. And we tend to do so because what he says here almost sounds like something he clearly states in Romans. You know, Paul has just begun teaching on justification. And some are convinced that he is here addressing a misunderstanding that seems to quickly surface whenever someone first hears about grace that he is dealing with the possibility of grace leading to license. That he's answering those who might suggest that by taking away the need to obey the law, people will feel free to sin. And that can be a problem. Knowing the penalty for sin has already been paid by someone else might lead some to assume they are then free to sin with no fear of consequences. And if that happens, might not Jesus and his offer of grace be to blame for encouraging people to go ahead and sin? Well, Paul does deal with this possibility in Romans 6. And he answers it definitively by asking a very pointed question. How shall we who died to sin still live in it? It's unthinkable. To believe we can now live a life of sin under grace. That we've been given a license to sin. And Paul clearly addresses this matter in Romans. But it's probably not 
what he's addressing here in Galatians. The issue at hand was Peter withdrawing from fellowship with Gentile Christians. And he did so because he thought his Jewish brethren would think he was defiling himself, making himself into a sinner by eating with Gentiles. Gentiles who had become Christians, but were apparently still viewed as Gentile sinners, as ceremonially unclean before God. Now, if that were the case, then Jesus would be a minister of sin because he had commissioned the apostles to take the gospel to Gentiles. And he had ordained that the church contain both Jews and Gentiles in fellowship around a common table. But the Jewish brethren from Jerusalem and apparently even Peter had forgotten was that Jew and Gentile alike are justified before God. And no one who is considered to be clean in God's eyes can be considered unclean or a source of spiritual pollution. You know, Jesus is not a minister of sin, one who leads people into relationships that will defile them. He is the one who justifies sinners, Jews and Gentiles alike. He's the one who can make anyone acceptable in God's eyes. And he's the only one who can do so. For it's only through God's grace that anyone can be justified. Verses 18 through 21. For if I rebuild what I have once destroyed, I prove myself to be a transgressor. For through the law, I died to the law, that I might live to God. I have been crucified with Christ, and it is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and delivered himself up for me. I do not nullify the grace of God. For if righteousness comes through the law, then Christ died Needlessly. Now, whether Paul actually declared to Peter what he interjects in verse 20 or not, we have no way to know. But it's quite possible that this is an emotional outburst that came upon him as he was writing to the Galatians. That as he wrote... I died to the law that I might live to God. The floodgates opened and he found himself exclaiming, I have been crucified with Christ. And it's no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the son of God who loved me and delivered himself up for me. Those are without a doubt the most powerful words in all of Galatians. And we're going to look at them again in depth next week. So let's now simply focus on the thought that surrounds verse 20. Eating with a Gentile brother won't make a Jewish Christian into a transgressor. 
But going back to the demands of the law certainly will. You know, every Jew who became a Christian had to die to the law before they could live to God. They had to give up trying to find acceptance with God through obedience to the law before they could accept the grace of God made available through His Son. To then go back and place themselves under the law's demands in regard to ceremonial uncleanness was to nullify the grace of God. By separating themselves from their Gentile brethren, the Judaizers and Peter were inadvertently suggesting that what Christ did on the cross was not enough. That before Gentiles could really be acceptable to Him or to their Jewish brethren, they had to add to what Christ did for them an obedience to a law that the Jews themselves had been unable to obey. No one, no one is saved through the law and Christ. They're saved by Christ and Christ alone. If the law played any role in our redemption other than bringing us to an understanding of our need for grace, then Christ died needlessly because the law would then have power To save us. So the only way. It's the only way. The sacrifice of God's son can be justified. Is if it is the only way. A man can be justified. For if obedience to the law. Or to works of any kind can make a man right with God, the cost of grace is not justified. It really would not be worth it for God to send His Son and allow Him to go through all He went through if there had been another way for men to be justified. But grace is justified because it's the only way. The penalty for sin, death, had to be paid. And we couldn't pay it and live. We couldn't pay any part of it. That is why Jesus came to earth. And that is why we celebrate His birth. He did for us what we cannot do for ourselves. He saved us from the just consequences of our sin. He justified us in God's eyes. Now again, as Paul will teach us in Romans, that does not mean we are therefore free to sin. That we've been given a license to sin. In fact, understanding What Christ did for us actually keeps us from sinning. It motivates us to live a life that honors Him. It motivates us to give up living for ourselves and to start living lives that genuinely reflect gratitude for what He's done. 
So this morning, we commit ourselves to Christ and thank Him for what He's done. And we thank Paul for helping us understand it. Let's stand.